Okay, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again this evening that we can open up your word. Thank you for those who were here this morning and listening, and I pray that what was said would resonate within each heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts tonight in the word, and when we go from here tonight, that we would strive to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of our life. We're thankful again for the way that you answer prayer and for the peace that you give, especially to those who are struggling. Uh, we received a, a text from Sam and Blanca just a little bit ago, and uh, they are headed to Nebraska to see some friends who lost their baby. And um, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would uh, give this family comfort and help Sam and Blanca to be able to uh, encourage them and to pray with them when they go and see them this evening. We thank you, Lord, again for bringing each one of us back tonight and for the fellowship time which will follow that uh, you would be glorified in everything. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> All right, Romans chapter 11. <coughs> Romans chapter 11. And we are going to be again reading in verse 33. Romans 11, verse 33. And we are going to read down through chapter 12. Verse 2. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then I want to read one small section from the book of Acts. And this is where Paul is uh, in Athens. And we find this in chapter 17. Of course, Paul is uh, Paul goes to Athens and he sees all of the idols, all of the altars that are there. And on one of them is to the unknown God. And he says to them that this is the one, in fact, we'll begin reading in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus or on Mars Hill, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Talk about the understatement of the first century. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us 
For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. So last week we considered a few aspects in regards to the decrees of God. We saw firstly that they are eternal. So the things that we find, even like, for example, in the scary, the horrible things that we learned about in Revelation chapter 9 this morning, those are eternal. Those were set in place by God from before eternity that he might bring honor and glory to himself. Now, a lot of people, I can't remember who it was, was asking me this morning or made a comment. In fact, there were a couple of you that said this. And we can ask God anytime something happens in our life, why? Now, I've actually met with three people this last week alone who have cancer. And we could ask, why God? Why me? Well, why not me? As somebody has said, I believe it was you this morning. Why not me? And, and when we recognize that the only reason that we have to know from God is that it is to bring honor and glory to himself, we need no other reason as to why we have these things. In fact, we probably will not understand until we actually get to heaven and we find there that these light afflictions, which Paul speaks about, one day they will be completely gone. And when we get to heaven, we won't care about all these things anymore. We'll be without sin. We'll be without any imperfections. We will be, we will be with the God of all comfort. And as Revelation says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is a wonderful truth. But when we look and we consider that these are eternal, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Scripture affirms that believers were chosen in Christ from when? Before the foundations of the world. Oh, wait a minute. I, 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 thought it, I thought it said when you chose of your own free will. Hold on. Let me, let me get a different version here. We'll be here a while. Exactly. No, it said chosen in Christ before the world began. God gave or extended that grace to us because of nothing within ourselves. And, you know, I, I honestly am thankful because if we were God and we looked down and saw the crud that we are and that we have been in the past and that we may be yet in the future, if you were God, would you have saved you? I sure wouldn't have. We found, secondly, the, de the decrees of God are wise. The psalmist said in Psalm 104, verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works in wisdom. You have made them all. Now, again, we had the saying that we mentioned last week was this, or the, the little poem, Lord, we cannot now your purpose see, but all is well that's done by thee. And I think that sometimes it would behoove us as Christians, maybe if we were to get little placards and we were to hang them in our home, Little things like that that would help us keep our perspective on eternity. Lord, we can't your purpose see, but all is well that's done by thee. In our house, growing up for years when the boys were little, we had a little plaque and it said, just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. And it was a daily reminder to us, just that little plaque, and we could point that to the boys and we could say, are you pleasing God or are you pleasing, are you pleasing self? Which choice are you actually following? But the ways of God, the decrees of God, are wise. Again, look at Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We can't find it out. We can, we can search 
all day long, all night long. Uh, think about the monks in the Middle Ages. I mean, there were many of them, like Martin Luther, for example, and they would spend hours and days and weeks locked up in these tiny little cells trying to understand the mind of God and yet couldn't come to an understanding of who God was. The ways of God are wise. Thirdly, the ways of God are free. Isaiah chapter 40, if somebody would like to look that up for us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13 and 14. Who has that for us this evening? Anybody like to read? 41, oh, he, 40 verse 13 and 14. 13. If you wouldn't mind, brother, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And then somebody else like to read? Uh, Isaiah 46, 10. And then Ephesians chapter 1, Violet, verse, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 11. Okay, so thirdly, we saw that they are free. Who has Isaiah 40, 30, uh, 13, and 14? NASB version. Uh, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge? and informed him of the way of understanding. Okay, so when we're talking about being free here, it is free from human counsel. It is based solely on the counsel of the Godhead. That begins from the very creation itself. God didn't come down and ask anybody's help. He didn't ask for Lucifer's help. In fact, the angels hadn't even been created at that point. God simply chose of his own goodwill to create ex nihilo out of nothing. God didn't begin with some extra uh, uh, planetary matter or whatever. He began with absolutely nothing and simply spoke it into existence by the power of his word. So it is free from our influence. For example, you and I, every decision, and we looked at this or we spoke about this last week, every decision that we make, do you remember we talked about coming up to a crossroads and we could turn left or we could turn right? Those decisions that we make are predicated upon the knowledge that we have been given, maybe because we have driven both to the left and to the right, and we know where each one of those roads will take us. So if you come up to a crossroads and you're standing there at that crossroads and you've never been this way before, and you go left or you go right, what do you go to to be able to determine whether you know which way you're going to go? I, I mean, if you care whether you are going to get lost or not. What would you use? A map. Rand McNally Atlas? Yes. Okay. Coin flip. Coin flip. <laughs> GPS. Any one of those. But are those based on your knowledge or based on somebody else's knowledge? Somebody else's. Somebody else's knowledge. Somebody else had to put the map together. Somebody else had to program the GPS to be able to show you where to go. With God, God had nothing else outside of himself, which is why he could create all things perfectly. God was free to decree or not to decree. Fourthly, we saw that they are absolute and they are unconditional. Again, there is nothing that God needs in order for these things to be able to work. Do you remember the covenant in the Old Testament? God created and made a covenant with man. Who is the only one that kept it? God. God. But what happened with Israel? God said, I will make a covenant with my people. He also reiterates this to several people, including prophets and kings. In fact, he tells Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, he says, if you will follow me, these are the blessings that I promise you will take place in Israel. 
Did Israel keep them? Solomon didn't even keep them because his heart was taken away from God by the wives that he brought in and the gods that they brought in with them. Who has 2 Thessalonians 2.13? Brother Jeff? Yeah. But we ought to always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Was that Paul doing the choosing? Who does it say did the choosing? God did. God was the one who chose us in him. Somebody was talking with me this last week and, and we were speaking about uh, about keeping us and, and preserving us. If we had something to do with our own salvation, I don't think any of us would stay saved for very long. Because if it was up to us and one day we get up and we don't feel saved, do you ever have bad days when you don't feel well, Brother Doug? Yes, and not feel saved is... Not feel saved, not feel like a good Christian, not yeah. feel like a good yeah. Sunday school teacher or a pastor or whatever it may be that we've got going on in our lives. Aren't you glad that it's not based on our emotion? <laughs> I mean, what happens, what happens on the day that you get the bad news? Now all of a sudden you don't feel saved anymore? It's not up to us. Look at the other side with with emotion, the LGBTB alphabet community. Yep, absolutely. Well, we saw it this morning, and we read, and we're going to look at it more in more depth this next Sunday, Lord willing. But verse chapter nine, verse twenty and twenty-one, they did all of these things. They still kept living in such a way that they were that they enjoyed their sexual immorality. They would not repent. <clears throat> And this is one of the reasons why I believe, and, and uh, uh, Brother Corey and I were talking about this before the service, and I asked him if he had learned anything from the, the message this morning. The, this is the reason why I believe in being, as fa being faithful to the scriptures, why I came, and there's a reason why I actually had been absent from Revelation for a little while. It's because I just don't have all the answers. I'm trying to find the answers. And as I study, I believe that, that it's a faithful rendering to be able to take as literally as possible. These are not little locusts that are hopping around on your back porch as we looked at this morning. Who would be afraid of that? I believe this is something that is supernatural, something that is demonic, and yet through all of that horror, all of that torment, people are still not going to seek after God. We can't conceive it because it hasn't happened. No. No, nope, it hasn't. All the other, you know, the prophecies and supernatural things that happened already happened and were already exclaimed. So, you know, I think that leads a, into misconception and confusion. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is that takes place in the world. I, I mean, again, Noah. Noah's building an ark. Nobody believed him. <laughs> Nobody got on the boat. They could have. The door was open. But nobody got on. Who has somebody like to look up a verse for me? Romans chapter three, Mom. Romans chapter three, verses ten through twelve. Listen to these words, Pastor. Yes. I don't think those locusts were little itty bitty things. I, I I believe they were like three, four inches long. The ones in Revelation, you mean, or the yeah. ones that? In Revelation. Oh, I I think they're much bigger. I think they 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 will the world will know when they arrive. They will know it's something that's otherworldly. Yeah, people think it's like an alien invasion or something. Yeah. 
scum me, I'd be dead. Yeah. Yeah. You think, how big to. do you think they are? I, I think that they are probably, uh, they could be humanoid size. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that. It doesn't to kill. Not to kill. It's just yeah. a torment. Stinger. I mean, if you've ever been stung by a hornet or a mud dauber or a wasp or something, they hurt. But this this is much more. A sting from one of these locusts is going to make you wish you were dead. Yeah. Yes. You're going to, like you said, they will seek death. Yeah. They won't be able to find it. They'll jump off cliffs. They will do yep. anything they can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's listen to Romans 3. 10 through 12. 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's scripture. Scripture is very clear. Nobody seeks after God. Now, I was talking with somebody this this uh, earlier this morning, and I said, you know, I, uh, there are times that I, I look at, at chapters like Revelation chapter 9, and, and I see the horror, and I can only imagine, I have a pretty vivid imagination, I can't begin to fathom what this is going to be like. But what is amazing to me is that through all of this, these people are still going to have hatred in their hearts towards God. Yeah. I mean, no matter what happens, we, we've now gone through the seals being opened. We've seen the wrath of man. Now we're seeing the wrath of God transpire. You don't find mass conversions. You don't find great deal of revival taking place in the book of Revelation. In fact, at the beginning of Revelation, do you remember the seven churches that we looked at in chapter 2 and chapter 3? These seven churches are a representation of what we would see throughout all of church history. And every one of these churches, there is something that is wrong with just about every one of them. Some of them, God had absolutely nothing good to say. Some of them, maybe just a little bit. There's only two churches out of the seven that actually God had only positive to say. And I think that as we look within our own lives, and we're going to look at break this down in just a little bit more on the board here in just a few minute, minutes, but what we are talking about or what we are looking at here, I believe, is that God requires of us something that shows to the world that we are true believers. I believe that there are things that we need to have in our lives so that when we get to Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, follow God, obey his word, don't be conformed to the world. That's going to take us to what we began looking at last week with the matter of orthopraxy or right doctrine. Let's continue. Isaiah 46, verse 10. I'm going to read uh, part of 9. Okay. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. All. All. Uh, There are some, as we read in the Old Testament, there are some said, you know, hey, Noah, you've been preaching for 118 years. You've been preaching for 97 years. This flood's going to come. Well, you never seen no flood. Why are you still building your ark? Because God said to. Because God will always fulfill his plans. 
God would still have fulfilled his plans in the ark and the conclusion of the ark and the saving of Noah's family if Noah would have died. God still would have saved his family if they were on the ark. Think about that. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Violet, Ephesians 1 verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The counsel of his own will. So here's what we want to do this evening. I want to put all of these things that we have learned and I want to put them into kind of like a basket. And I want you to understand, and I hope that you're taking notes because this, this I believe is important as you consider... Every aspect of your life this evening, tomorrow, Tuesday, any day in your life that ends in a Y, I want you to understand that God calls us to a certain standard. The first thing that we have to do, the first word we talked about last week, is this one. Or, though, up, oh, wrong one. orthodoxy now orthodoxy is simply what you believe how can you regulate your life correctly if you do not know what you believe somebody was speaking with me this morning they taught we were talking about the LDS the Mormon church the Mormon church they are striving to get one up on everybody else around them so that they can obtain a higher heaven now we don't hate the Mormons we hate the system of belief that they are trapped in and the cult that they are believe, that they are trapped in that says to them, if you send your kid on mission or if you get baptized by proxy for the dead and the more people you get baptized for, the more people that you get married to by proxy in the temple, the better standing you're going to have when you become a god yourself. You know, that is an awful way to live. If my son goes on goes on mission and your son doesn't, I'm 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 going to have a higher status, a higher elevation in heaven than what you are. Is that fair? Why do we need Christ if we can do it by our own works? But the problem is that more most people do not know what they believe. If I were to ask you, for example, a particular doctrine, if I were to ask you to explain the Trinity. Or if I were to ask you to explain, why do we believe what we believe is a Baptist congregation? You know, there are people who have, who have made comments here to me recently over the last couple of weeks. And, and they've either asked me in regards to the doctrinal statement. And some of them come right out and said, hey, listen, I don't understand the doctrinal statement. Now, we're going to seek to correct that, Lord willing, here in the upcoming months and probably in, in the indefinite future as we look and see what it is that we are supposed to believe because one day somebody will come knocking on your door and they're going to want to know what you believe and if you don't know, they're going to be able to tell you whatever they want and it's going to sound good. I mean, the statistics are that 25% of new adherents to the cults like JWs and Mormons come from evangelical churches like ours because they show up at your door and they're willing to help you move in. They're willing to come wash your car. They're willing to do your lawn. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And it sure sounds good on the surface. 
But once you get into it and you realize that it is fear that actually binds them. Do you know what happens with those young people if they come off mission? Do you know what happens if they find out or somebody gets a hold of them? For example, somebody comes and knocks on your door, Brother Jeff, and they knock on your door and you start talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why they don't want to listen to you? Because they have been indoctrinated in their mission school and they are being told things like this. Well, if you apostatize or if you leave the Mormon church or if you listen to that Baptist preacher and go knock on his door. By the way, I don't know if you guys ever ever noticed this, but we never get any visitors like that here at the Parsonage for some strange reasons. Kind of weird. <laughs> but you know the reason they don't is because of that. These young people are being told, well, if you apostatize, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to you, but your whole family will be apostate. Your family will go to hell. Brother Doug, you don't want your mom to go to hell, do you? And you know what it's based off of? It's based off of fear. It's based off of keeping you where they want you, underneath their thumb, instead of simply saying, Jesus paid it all. That's the criteria. The criteria is not what we can do. Every one of us have a different work. Uh, uh, some ministers do different different kinds of work. Some some pastors are are more uh, uh, like counselors. Some are spending more time in in producing three or four messages throughout the week. There are some people who was it that was asking me somebody like John MacArthur. How in the world does he do all the things that he does? Pastor a church that large and still write some fifty sixty books over the course of his life. Ugh, I mean something like that would just drive me bananas. That he can do something like that. So, I mean, surely if anybody was going to get a good seat in heaven, it'd be somebody like John MacArthur. I mean, what chance do the rest of us have? You see, the reality is when we get to heaven, we will all stand around the throne of God. We will all be equal. We will all be sinners saved by grace. And we will all be able to say, and I have heard Dr. MacArthur say this as well, we will all be able to say the same thing. We did what was right for a servant to do. It's because that's what God calls us to do. So you have to be faithful with what God has called you to do. So orthodoxy is simply correct doctrine or correct teaching. In other words, your content, what you believe in your mind is correct. Now if your orthodoxy is correct, the next word is going to be your orthopraxy. The word orthopraxy is simply the word for correct living. We have talked about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The scriptures are good for all that pertains to life and godliness. Here's the problem. A lot of times we go, and I have been there in the past, we go to church, we listen to the message, it goes in one ear and it goes right out the other, we get up from the altar, we've prayed, We've given everything to God. We stand up from the altar. We pick it back up. We throw it over our shoulders. Say, God, thanks for listening. We'll take it from here. That's the way a lot of us are living. And, and, and when we don't have the correct doctrine to be able to dictate to us, for example, it, there would be a lot less counseling that would be required in churches if, if people were truly willing to, willing to understand what the Word of God has to say just about God himself. And then understand what the Bible says about us. 
So we have this correct doctrine here. This correct doctrine should be teaching us how we should live. So if I come up to you, for example, and, and you're struggling, let's say, in the area of finances. I mean, you can throw out any kind of ideas or any kind of comments or thoughts that you may have. So, but let's take finances, for example. What's the answer? Is the answer the first thing we do is go down to the Goodwill and buy Dave Ramsey's book? No. Or Larry Burkett's? It, now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with the basic principles in those things. But Larry Burkett and Dave Ramsey are not the Bible. The answer that we should have is, God, what does your word have to say about how I spend my money? And if we understand what the Bible says about being a good steward and being faithful about what God has given us, we can then put that into practice and now we're able to take care of one more problem that is in our life. Don't be conformed to the world. What is the world standard? Go out and get a credit card. Do you know what the average amount of debt is in America? Anybody have any idea? Average, average amount of debt. Uh, average amount of debt. Unsecured debt in America today. 60 plus. I'm sorry? 98, not it's, quite. It's a trillion. No, 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 per person, per, per family per unit. Yeah, yeah. I'd say 60. If you've got a trillion dollars in debt, we're going to have a serious talk. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're 32.8 trillion. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the um, I'm going to guess 60. Yeah, it's, it's just over 80,000. Per person in America, that is unsecured debt. We're not talking about cars. Things that can be the things that can be recouped. We're not talking about houses. We're just talking about credit cards. The lower you go on the age scale, college age students up to about the age of thirty actually have the highest percentages of one hundred and thirty thousand dollars in America. And a gender studies degree. And a gender studies degree or underwater basket weaving. Do you know why? Because they haven't, they don't have a biblical doctrine guiding their orthopraxy. Now, if your orthopraxy is designed by the world and your worldview says, I can live any way I want, I can please myself, I can love myself, I can forgive myself, I can do whatever it is that I want to do, then yes, your orthopraxy is going to come out and it's going to show you the amount of wealth or the amount of things, possessions that you think you have to have in order to be able to keep up with Joneses. Now, is there anything wrong with wealth? No. God gives wealth to some. Some people, he doesn't give wealth. But if he gives you wealth, whatever amount that is, I guarantee you it's still more than what our dear brothers and sisters in one country that we have been praying and collecting for. It's far more than what they'll ever have combined in their entire life. And you know what's amazing to me? You can go down to those countries and they are still singing the praises of God in their services they will save up, they will sacrifice to be able to feed you better than you will ever eat on your, or they will ever eat themselves. Why? Because they have a right doctrine. Their doctrine designs their practice, how they put that into practice. There's one more thing, and that is... orthopathy. This simply is your feelings or your emotions. Now, this one often gets us in trouble. Because you can still have a correct doctrine. 
you can still be putting it into practice, but then something goes askew in your life and the first thing you're depending on is not the Word of God, it's your feelings. It's your emotions. You get up in the morning, you go outside, you have a flat tire. What's the first thing you do? Well, that's that's what we should be doing. But what if we're in a hurry and we're on our way to an appointment, some kind of appointment, it's something very important, and we get out and there's a flat tire, uh, I'm sure the first thing we're not doing is falling down on our knees and saying, Lord, I give thanks to you for this flat tire. Kind of sounds like ding ding. <laughs> but isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? I mean, I remember Brother Diego, when when he when they called me up, Sister... sister um, who was it that called me? I think it was your wife. I think it was Sister Janet that called me and said, first words out of her mouth were, Diego's been in a motorcycle accident. And I'm thinking, Diego didn't call me. This probably can't be good. But you know the testimony that we heard from Brother Diego later? They gathered together, the motorcyclists, people showed up from all over to get down and to thank God right there on the side of the road for saving his life. Now, you know what a lot of us might have done? Get off, look at the bike, be upset, thousands of dollars down the drain. Now we're going to have to contact the insurance company. All of these things could be going through our, through our mind, not spending time thanking God that he has just preserved our life one more day. And the reason that we have this in this circle is because it doesn't just go this way here. You see, orthodoxy actually should reflect your orthopathy. It should reflect your orthopraxy. It should also go this way right here. Every one of these are going to be how you respond to life. So if I get a call, or Brother Diego gets a call, or somebody else here gets a call, Brother Jeff gets a call from the group that he's in, and somebody's day is going bad, how do you respond now? First response is listen. First response should be listen, but what if this person is just emotionally uh, emotionally distraught? What if, I mean, their world has just been rocked. What do you do then? Go to prayer. Spend time. What about just reading the Word of God with them? You know, one of the things that, that, that really irked me, and I heard it down through the years that I served as a funeral director, people would come in and they'd say, oh, I, I'm sorry, I know how you feel. You don't know how I feel. I don't know how you feel when you've gone through a loss or the loss of a loved one. You say, well, have you never lost a loved one? Yes, of course we've lost a loved one. But the experience that I have gone through is not what you have gone through. Every one of us go through something different. Every one of us can be diagnosed with the exact same thing this next week, and every one of us are going to go through a different set of emotions. We're going to handle every one of the next few days differently because of our doctrine, where we're at doctrinally. For example, I can have a head full of knowledge as a pastor. I can have right doctrine. But if I get up and, and, and we go to the doctor, and, and like Hannah, when she had her leg and her leg was broken, and we went to the doctor... I can have a head full of knowledge when it comes to doctrine and I can tell you all kinds of things from the book of Proverbs or how we're supposed to do it. But when it's actually your family member who is going through that, now how do you handle it? Are we really trusting God? Are we really able to go to 1 Peter 5, 7? It's one thing for me to go up and say, Brother Doug, 
you know, I'm sorry you hear, you're, you're having that problem. You know, First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. It'll be all right in the end. Things will be back to normal before long. You know what we've done? We've done a disservice to that individual and we've also done a disservice to God and our understanding of Scripture by saying that. And I realize sometimes we just don't know what to say. We as a people, we do not like silence. If you don't believe me, come to a prayer meeting. And when it gets silent and it gets quiet, people start getting fidgety. You know, it's times like that that we should be opening up our Bibles, we should be reading a psalm or we should be reading a hymn and saying, Lord, speak to me from your word so that I know what to hear from you. How is this going to change my life? Now, again, it's easier to say this when you're not on the receiving end, but then something happens to you, and now all you hear from when people are quoting Scripture to you is pious platitudes. It should be much more than that, though. We should be living our life during the good times so that when the bad times come, we we are also understanding what God has for us. And it's not easy. Was it easy laying there in the middle of the road on the road to Torrington? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of things that went through his mind. Maybe thinking about Sister Janet, maybe thinking about his kids. I mean, when he comes off and, as he said, he's flying through the air, low-level flight coming off of his bike. Is it sliding down the road? I mean, a car could have come by, a truck could have come by and run him over. Now, we can say God is still in control, but it's a whole lot harder to believe that. It's a whole lot harder to live in such a way that we can stand up from that accident or we can stand up from that diagnosis when the doctor gives us the bad news and we can look that doctor in the eyes or we can look that EMT worker on the side of the road and look them in the eye and say, my God is still in control. He still has me here for a reason. When somebody goes through a death in the family, uh, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. You know, in in, in the time that I was in the industry, I did over 1,200 funerals just myself, not including my staff that I had working for me. In eight years, I handled 1,200 cases. The vast majority of them were unbelievers. The range of emotions that went through people when they came to select a casket or they came to the, to the cemetery to be able to pick out a space, or you ha- actually hand them, they, the last time they saw their loved one, they are laying in a bed, they're a full-size human, and you give them a little tiny box, and all it's got is gray powder in it. And they'll never get to hold their hand again. They'll never get to love them. They'll never get to say, I love you, and hear it back. What do you do in those times? Do you remember the times, Brother Galen, when you were in the hospital? I remember the calls from that we had. I remember the calls that Sister Deanna and I had. Those are painful times. And yet through that, our emotions are either going to wreck our lives or God is going to use those emotions and he's going to corral them with his word and we're going to be able to understand the passages that we have been hearing from Dad on, Sunday, on Wednesday nights. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You won't be able to say or live that if you don't believe it. 
The question is, do you believe it? And if you do believe it, why aren't we living it? If we do live it, why is it that our emotions change? Why is it that, that, that instead of giving in to the Word of God, we're giving in to the feelings or the emotions that we have? We're getting upset. We're losing control. The reason is because we don't have a full rounded theology like we should have. We are not studying the Word of God to the point where we know who God is. Because if we truly knew who God was, it wouldn't matter what comes into our life tonight, tomorrow, the day after, a year from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now. Some of these young people may live 60 or 70 years. I, I wouldn't want to live to be 100 years old. But what if God did allow me to live 100 years? Is it going to change who He is? God has been God from all of eternity. Another 45 years isn't going to make one bit of difference to Him. But I tell you what it should make a difference in. In 45 years from now, if God allows me to see my 100th birthday, I can tell you this, I better have a better understanding of who God is 45 years from now than I do today. I better be living my life in such a way that I'm not attributing the life that I've had, the long life, the gracious life that I've had, I better not be attributing it to the, all the vices of the world. I should be saying, God, because of who you are, I am here today. Help me to be a living testimony of your grace and your mercy for one more day. That's what God requires of us. And again, we don't like that. Because we want to be able to be in control. We think that we can change the standard. We think that we can change God's will to match ours. And, and instead of praying, Lord, your will be done, not mine, we're saying, Lord, I want my will to be done, so just change to match what I want. And if I don't, I'm going to throw myself a little pity party. I'm going to have a temper tantrum. To deny a right doctrine or teaching at worst case could produce a false teacher or a false preacher or a false Christian. To deny a right lifestyle is essential and many times it has its own motives. And to deny that right emotions or affections are necessary leaves you open to influence from a host of external sources. I'm going to close with this illustration. When my brother passed away, and I don't know that I've ever told my mom and dad this, but when my brother passed away at 22, we went through a wide range of emotions just like the rest of my family did. You know what the problem was? Was the doctrine that my wife and I had in our lives was driven by emotions. It wasn't driven by a knowledge of God's word. So to be able to combat the motions that we had instead of going to God's Word, we turned on the TV and we watched hours and hours and hours of movies. It wasn't just Disney stuff. We watched all kinds of stuff. And the more we watched, you know what happened? Our lives didn't get better. It affected our minds. Our minds began to be insensitive. We began to be insensitive to the needs of one another. We began to be insensitive to the needs of our family, to our extended family, to our colleagues, to our church brothers and sisters. 
because we use the movies to overcome. And instead of asking God for grace and strength, you know what we were doing? We were really questioning God. God, who do you think you are that you would take my brother? I mean, my brother had never had a chance to get married. My brother hadn't gone through all the stuff that we had. He would be forever 22, his earthly body. And you know what we had to realize? We had to come to a clear understanding that God was the God of all hope. God was the God who promised hope through the resurrection. And God made a right decision. God made a right choice. And my brother didn't die one day too early. My brother didn't die one day too young or too old. He died exactly when God wanted to take him to be with him. And when we realize that this week, some of you, you may very well get some bad news like we said this morning. But it'll only be bad news as long as you don't take it to the scriptures and say, Lord, what am I to learn from this? How can I be more like you this week than I was last week? God revealed to me yourself in such a way that I recognize even before I got the news, even before this supposed bad thing happened, you're the same God this week as you were last week. You're the same God the minute before I got the news as the minute after I got the news. Didn't catch you off guard. God is still gracious. God is still loving. God is still merciful. God is still patient. God is still long-suffering. God is still kind. And He still expects that from us towards one another. So if you get a call, if things go pear-shaped in your life, if there's another motorcycle accident, don't plan anything, Brother Diego. But if things go pear-shaped, let's simply be there for one another. Let's make sure that our orthodoxy is actually changing the way that we think about who God is and what He expects and how we can live our lives. And sometimes it may just be that God would use you to go up and put your arm around that brother and sister. Say, I don't know what else to say, but God loves you and so do I. That may be all we can say. And at the right moment... You may have an opportunity to be able to share scripture. But don't share scripture if you don't believe it. I have shared multiple times down through the years, as I know my dad has, Psalm 116.15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I really believe that, do you? But it's taken a long time to get to the point where I have come to believe that. It's taken a lot of pain. It's taken a lot of heartache. To actually believe that it is precious in God's sight when he takes one of his believers to be with him. And yet we should be looking forward to heaven. Instead of being so attached, we were talking this week about funeral plans. You know, do, do you plan for, for funerals? How much do you spend? What do you do? You know, the average funeral right now is almost $11,000 per person in America right now. Do you know why? Because we're trying to make death look good. Do you know when the largest purchases that people will ever spend at a funeral home? Anybody have a guess what it is? My parents can't answer this. Huh? Is the coffin? No. It's not? Nope. It's the flowers. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. Go to the funeral home or go go to the gravesite and look how many flowers are there week after week after week. People spending money. They're spending money because they're maybe they're guilt ridden, maybe they wish they could have given it to that person while they were alive. Those flowers don't mean anything to the person who's gone. My dad made the comment to me. He said, don't, don't you dare come put flowers on my grave. There's nothing wrong with doing those things if you do them. But don't let that be the reason why you're doing it. Do it as a memory to who that person is. Thank God for the life of that person. Thank God that he has allowed you to interact with that person. And again, no matter what happens... Love God, serve Him with all of your heart so that whatever happens to you and I this week, we will be ready. Amen? Amen. Any questions or comments? My cousin contacted me and she told me a cousin I have met that she was And you know where the breakdown is there? No orthodoxy, no biblical orthodoxy. It's wild. I know their parents, um, Lisa and Eddie, and I know them to be Christians, but I don't know them that well. I mean, it flows down to your kids, right? If you can handle it emotionally, go online and I challenge you to do something. Go to YouTube. And in the search bar, type in, I have cancer. You won't have enough time to be able to watch all the videos. But if you do that, just watch a selection of them and see how people respond. I can tell you that the vast majority of them do not handle it biblically. And the reason is because they don't know God. So when the world sees us and they see that we get those things, we get those cancers, we get those deaths in our family, we get those phone calls we don't want to get, how are we responding? The world is looking at you and they're looking at me. And they want to know how we're going to respond to the same thing that, they're, that they have and yet, do they have hope? They don't have hope. We have hope. And yet 1 Corinthians 15 says, if we in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. If if you're responding the exact same way as your lost neighbors and friends and family, you need to rethink your theology. Amen? Well, thank you for listening tonight. And um, let's have a time of fellowship. We've already blessed the food. And uh, thank you again for coming. Amen? Amen. Amen.